Auckland's Radio. That's Steve, is the CEO of Music in Hospitals. Hello, Steve, how are you? Hi, Claire, I'm fine, thanks very much. That's great. Now, you organise in the region of 4,500 professionally performed interactive live music concerts a year across, across the UK for people of any age receiving care or treatment for an illness or disability. You are celebrating your 65th anniversary this year, and we are very fortunate to have you based nearby in Walton-on-Thames. Can you tell me a bit about Music and Hospitals and how it got started back in 1948? I can, but I think I probably need to put the record straight because uh-huh. I don't actually organise 4,500 concerts. No, no, not I've, personally. I've got a great team <laughs> yes. around me, all of whom are very committed to the charity. And if they're listening, hi there, girls. Um, they do a fantastic job. They organise all the concerts, um, so it's not me at Lovely. all. Lovely, and so. you have three sites around the UK as well, or we, we've is actually more than got, that now? We, we've actually got four sites uh-huh. around the UK, um, but let me... Let me just get back to the beginning, yeah. if you like. Um, Music in Hospitals really was founded in 1948. Right. But the story really begins at the end of the Second World War, there was a thing called ENSA, which was right. the Entertainment National Service Association, where you had people singing for the troops and that sort of thing, like Vera Lynn, yes. Dame Vera Lynn, that sort of stuff. Well, that was due to close and be wound up in 1946. And a lady called Sheila McCreary who was then working for the newly established Arts Council, thought, actually, there's still lots of people in hospital. Maybe they could benefit from continuing um, access to live music. Fantastic. She came up with the idea. She was uh, a lady who started in Surrey, had an office in Surrey. Uh, she had a pilot scheme in 1947. And the Council for Music and Hospitals, as it was called then, was set up in 1940. Hence the CMH. Was there any knowledge at the time that music was actually was, uh, had some therapeutic value or was it just a, a feel-good thing? Ah, well, that's a, that's a very interesting question. But if you go back to the um, ancient Greeks and the Egyptians, they saw the link between emotion and music and the beneficial uh, benefit, benefits of having music for people who were ill, uh, unwell, disabled and yes, so on. Yes, they so have so, and poetry and things like so that. So it actually goes back a long, long time. So actually, this is not a new story. It's just being retold. And done in a, maybe a more organised way. Yes, that's absolutely right. Right, yeah. so 65 years, what's happened over that time? Gosh, well... Um, <laughs> in, a, in a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell. And you've, you've not been there all that time, I, I hasten to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I might look like it, but no, I haven't, I haven't been there that, that long. I arrived uh, about 21 months ago. Right. But once the charity started, um, the notion was, based in Surrey, and to the provision of um, live music for people who were in hospital. And actually, the early work was done with the forces... Um, um, mental illness charity now called combat stress i mean that's where it started and that was local as well okay uh, but things have moved on since then why have they moved on well a, a variety of things really but largely the society in which we're working has changed enormously fewer and fewer people have long stays in hospital um people have short stays in hospital because technology allows we get that. turned around more quickly and if we're lucky we get more than a trolley in a corridor if you're lucky yes <laughs> uh, and if you're really lucky you get a concert <laughs> from music in hospitals too but we've got more people who are in uh, in care residential care because of their age and um and we also have um children with special needs we have people in daycare centers those who've got learning difficulties who actually live in society they go to daycare centers well you wouldn't be surprised to learn that we do concerts in all of these sorts of venues and right across the country right but having started from this fairly small beginning in surrey um things moved on as i mentioned um and in the uh, 1980s we did a con- concert tour in scotland and on the basis of the success there 
our office was opened in Scotland, right, in Edinburgh, and that's still going very strongly. And about a third of our concerts a year are, are done in Scotland and organised by the team in Edinburgh. Okay. Do you do you find that you play different types of music according to where the venue is? Because I'm thinking the taste in music, maybe certainly um, there are bagpipes and uh, more accordions and sort of thing, different types of instruments played in different parts of the country. Does that influence what you do? Well, I have a sneaking suspicion that bagpipes might be more popular north of the border. <laughs> but please don't quote me. <laughs> well, I did live there for quite a while. And I have to say, I've been to many Cayleys with lots of bagpipe playing and it is very cheery. It is. Yes, it's a of good old beat to it so uh, no you're right you're right but um but no you're right we do play different sorts of music depending upon the venue and the concerts team very committed team uh, and the concerts team in walton there's a there's a team in in edinburgh and a small team in manchester and also in cardiff yes and they negotiate with the venue to find out what it is that the venue needs now if it's a school with children who have special needs the likelihood is we'll look at something quite innovative right particularly if they don't have uh, any audio skills and in some cases they don't okay if it's a, a residential home people with dementia then we probably tend towards reminiscence yes about memory it's and, about yes. the memory yes uh, and then lots of things in between if it's a hospice at its end of life care it probably needs to be quite soothing and gentle and maybe a harp or a violin and that sort of thing it doesn't need to yes. be something particularly loud yes so it's absolutely dependent upon the venue and the uh, and the audience that's going to be at the venue brilliant a little bit earlier i was uh, i was going through sort of various musical uh, benefits of music and one of them included group drumming have you heard of that? Apparently it was used after a, a tragedy in the United States where um, someone went into school and shot up the place, basically, and absolutely appalling. And then a number of these the people sort of attended group drumming because they couldn't even talk about the event because they were really very traumatised. Oh, interesting. Well, it's not something that I've come across, but I've heard of it. I've heard of it taking place in other, in, in other parts of the world. Yes. But in fact, there's a lot, of, a lot of things that are done in various parts of the world that we don't focus on. And I think I ought to really point out that what we don't do is music therapy. No. Music therapy is a, is a clinical intervention with, with highly specialised people and it tends to be one-to-one. Right. And we tend to do our stuff in a group setting, although if you've seen our fantastic video, which you can see on our website... Yes, I have. Um, depending on the venue, it may well be that the musicians will go into a bay where there's only one person and that's yes. just because of the layout of the hospital or the care home or whatever it is. Uh, and it means that we're taking music to the individual rather than the individual coming to the music. Right. And could you remind me what your website is? And we'll give it again at the end of the programme. Yes, it's www.musicinhospitals.org.uk. Right, just in case people want to look it up right now and to, and to see and to look on that video, because I've seen it and it's absolutely amazing. And what brought that drumming to mind was that, uh, on it, I think you talk about um, you know, some people can't hear particularly well. And so it's the, the rhythm, the beat is what communicates yes, to them, the isn't it? Yeah, so I thought that that was, uh, that yes. was something We've got sort a particular musician, actually, who, use, who uses his didigeridoo. And people oh. pick the vibration from the didgeridoo. Right, and that can be very soothing. Yeah. Right, well, uh, you've been in earlier in the year, and you brought with you at that time a lovely lady called Natalie Montacab. I'm not sure I know how to pronounce her surname. Montab. Oh, right, okay. And she did some singing. Now, what I thought would be nice, if I just played some of the singing that she did to demonstrate to people uh, what uh, your musicians do in hospital. Would that be okay? That sounds great. Lovely. Here we go. I'll give you a quick medley of a few different things that I would sing usually in a care home. So um, I would start off with something that everyone would know. For example, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are grey. 
um, I might sing something that Vera Lynn sang, Vera Lynn, um, like, We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. And if they seem to be enjoying it, I might give them a little bit of opera. I'll explain the Italian so they might hear... That's absolutely lovely. I mean, I, I am a great opera fan. Um, I took someone to the opera a little while ago who wasn't and never been. And of course, she can't understand when you're going to something like Madame Butterfly that they're actually singing about making a cup of tea, but in another language. And it sounds beautiful. When you translate it, it doesn't have quite the same passion. Um, but I just listen to the overall sound. I don't always have to know what the mm. words are. Well, How Nat- do you feel? is absolutely fantastic. And in fact, last month we did a, we did a concert up at a um, a venue called King's Place near King's Cross, right? Um, and it was really there to um, to expose the chat a bit more, raise awareness. And we had a number of our musicians playing there, and some of our um, patrons and vice presidents as well. Uh, Julian Lloyd Webber played. Oh, oh, oh I see. He was the first. He convinced me to play the cello, actually, oh, not really? personally, okay. but I went to his debut. I'm, oh, right, okay. I'm, I'm pretty old, actually. But yes, I went to his debut. And well, he he, he, play, he did a, he did some great great pieces and duets with his wife and Toby Spence uh, sang as well and a number of our musicians including Natalie and it was really quite fantastic. Oh I would have loved wonderful it. Evening. Oh I should have been there. I should have been you there. You should have been there. I should, yeah. How does it make your performance feel to, when they see people benefit from uh, sort of if they're in hospital or in a day centre? How does it make the performers feel? Well I'm I, it's difficult for me to say because I'm not a performer I'm not a musician by any stretch of the imagination but I have spoken to quite a lot of them and they find it quite moving uh, quite stimulating because it is a completely different environment. And to give you an example, there's one of our performers who he either calls himself a, a singer actor or an actor singer. I'm not quite sure which, but he does musicals and that sort of stuff on the stage. And he says that when he's playing and performing on the stage, he gets what's known as the fourth wall. And I, I had never heard of this before. No, and I that's haven't. and that's the space between the stage, if you like, and the audience. Right. Uh, and and it, if you like, it's a sort of an air gap and there's just lights there and a bit of space. And he said, I don't get that. If I'm performing in a school or a hospital or a care home. Oh, or, I see. I don't get yes, that. Yes. I'm there. I am right there with the audience. And he finds that quite demanding but quite stimulating and quite moving because he sees the reaction of the audience. Yes, I mean, because it it's immediate. I mean, I've only been on stage once, and I have to say it was to get a bunch of flowers because I'd helped produce the school play. And I went up on this platform, and I could not believe how bright the lights were. You can't see anything. Yeah, quite. You know, and you feel like you're in a, you know, in a goldfish pond or, or something like that and you know sort of there's stuff out there but you can't quite see what it is yes which i think i don't know if that's better or worse than actually being able to see but in terms of being scary but uh, that sounds brilliant yeah i think it is, i think it can be quite scary but when you do see the reaction and, and i have to say there is always a magic moment and for those of us that go to visit concerts and all the team visit concerts at various uh, various times there's always a magic moment it's a tipping point and it is yeah. just amazing but i but i think it's worth pointing out too that um this is not necessarily just about the residents of the care home or the patients in the hospital. No. It's actually about the wider community. There'll be family and friends there. There'll, yes. be, there'll be Jimmy uh, visiting his aged mum who's in a care home. Uh, there's the staff in the care home uh, or the hospital or whatever it is, and they get a real benefit too. 
So it touches a, a wider group. Indeed it does. Yes. And I imagine if, um, if someone wanted you to come in to play specifically, maybe for a donation, so you're a charity, aren't you? And, we are indeed. And I need to ask about how you're funded, but is that something that people can do? Yes, they can, and in fact... I'm holding it up to the radio now for those that are watching. Yep, there, there's a yellow slip of paper, I can see it. <laughs> we've, we've got a scheme, uh, and it's just a reminder about people buying a concert for a loved one in a care home. And this particular card has all the details on it. And on the way here this afternoon, I nipped into the library downstairs in Weybridge and said, I'm just about to give you a plug upstairs on the radio. Fantastic library in Weybridge. But when I finished, I'm going to come down. I'm going to leave a whole bundle of ah. these things in the library so people can pick them up and see how they commit £150 to go and do, uh, for us to go and do a concert for one of their loved ones in a care home or nursing home, whatever it's going to be. Mm. And also a bunch of leaflets that indicate how people can become a friend of music and hospitals. Ah, well, you know, the library is going to be mobbed. I mean, Absolutely. <laughs> the traffic is going I, to stop. I would be disappointed if it wasn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. So can I have your contact details again? How do people sort of look at uh, what you do, get in touch with you? What's the best way to do it? Yeah, of course. www.musicandhospitals.org.uk. Uh, and that's got everything on it. Brilliant. Uh, so, and you can yes, see the video, there. you can see what we do, you can see how to become a friend, you can download one of these cards and print it off so it tells you exactly what you've got to do. Um, or um, just give us a call, 01932-260-810, and we're right on your doorstep in Walton-on-Thames. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Steve. It was great to have you on the show, and I hope you'll stay with us for some of the remaining programme if you can. I'll do my best. Thank you very much, Claire. Right. And so that was Steve Rowling-Jones of Music in Hospitals. Brooklyn's Radio